Hello, I'm Rainer Shea, and I'm a writer. I've been writing for many years now. The last time I came on this program was in January of 2020, and at that point I had only recently become a communist. I had only recently become pro-China, and these were quite transformative experiences for me. Since then, though, I have learned quite a few more things, and I'm here today to share them with you. Well, Rainer, it's great to, to great to be with you. And gosh, so it's been four years. It's been four yes. years since we since since you were on my show last. So uh, a lot's changed. So uh, what's what's on your mind for 2024? What's on my mind for 20 uh, for 2024 is we're in a new era now, the post-Ukraine era. And a couple years ago. The Ukraine conflict that the USA instigated uh, escalated to a new phase in which Russia was able to prove itself as capable of militarily defying Washington, not just militarily, but also politically and economically. And that has shown that if you are pro-China, then you should be pro-Russia as well, because what Russia has been doing is advancing China's interests by accelerating the transition to multipolarity. Russia's special military operation has strengthened the Belt and Road Initiative, has strengthened the uh, economic network that the world that, which defies Washington is building. And that alone shows Russia to be in the right if you're uh, if you're coming from a pro-China perspective. Now, back to my own history, and th this totally relates to the events of the last few years. In 2020, I had learned the basics of communism. I'd uh, come to know that, I'd come to know that uh, supporting China is essential for advancing the Marxist-Leninist agenda. But at that point, I had not yet learned the uh, nature of the left in America, because I assumed that if somebody calls themselves pro-China, then they're going to be acting principled uh, throughout the rest of the class struggle. But as soon as the Ukraine conflict escalated, we saw pretty much all of all of the left, including uh, the predominant parts of the communist movement in the United States come out against Russia's operation. And it's not just about Russia, the, the complaints that I'm leveling against these uh, these formations. It's also about the nature and role of China and how we should view China's role within the global class struggle. Well, I I agree with you, and of course the um, you know Russia and China uh, are are tremendous allies right now, and in fact I include with them uh, Iran and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, the North Korea DPRK, and I call those four countries the Asian Quad, and because they're all they're all connected together geographically. And uh, as and, and they all help each other, they all work together, 
and they all need each other, and they are all promoting uh, uh, not only multipolarity, but they're they're an in, they're an invincible force against uh, Western empire, which at this point is you know, you know NATO, uh, the city of London, the financial city of London, and the, you know Wall Street, and we can even throw in big pharma and. Uh, uh, so uh, we, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot be, you cannot support Russia without supporting China, and you cannot, su- you cannot support China without supporting Russia. And I think that also goes for, for DPRK and Iran as well. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Now, here's the ideological basis understand for this position that you can be pro-China but anti-Russia. See, (laughs) there's this very weird attitude that Americans tend to have about other countries. The the American exceptionalist ideology tells them that it's their business to solve the real or perceived problems of every other place. And this absolutely can apply to the left as well as to the right. And uh, what the what the left-wing NGOs, left-wing imperialist NGOs within China have been doing is exploit real or perceived contradictions in China when it comes to uh, the LGBT issues. Now, the predominant wing of these NGOs uh, try to portray the Communist Party of China as uh, homophobic, transphobic, essentially the same as the U.S. Republican Party, which is totally absurd. And of course, they use that to uh, advocate for the overthrow of the, uh, the, the Chinese government and uh, create wedges, destabilization within Chinese society. But there is another wing of this left-wing NGO network that I think is more insidious and in ideological terms for communists I think more dangerous. This wing of the NGO network doesn't try to portray uh, the Communist Party of China as uh, anti-LGBT. It tries to portray it as, now how how do I phrase this, as a perfect cutout of the the left wing of the American culture war. It tries to portray China's social and cultural conditions as equivalent to those of the United States so that it can turn uh, China as well as the DPRK into tools for the left wing of the U.S. culture war. And how this relates to Russia is, (laughs) see, (laughs) in this strange view of the world that they have constructed, China is portrayed as the uh, <laughs> the good guy on the side of the left wing of the U.S. culture war, whereas Russia is portrayed as the bad guy. And, you know, a lot of the individuals that I'm talking about um, view, view Russia as a fascist state. So you, you see where I'm going with this? They are portraying uh, Russia as the bad guy by building up China to be something that it's not. And, you know, the predominant view of Russia within the American left right now is that that Russia is a cultural threat, that Russia is behind uh, the rise of Trumpism, 
that Russia is a cultural enemy. And that is the way that they're trying to drive a wedge between Russia and China. Yeah, first of all, China is, in fact, much of the world is, including Iran and DPRK and Africa and many parts of Asia and, and basically the, the global south, the global majority, are quite uh, cultural, uh, socially conservative. They're, they're, they're culturally conservative. And the, you know, I know, in fact, uh, I used to work with a, with a, with a, a guy uh, who got a sex change operation in China, and uh, it was, and 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 now is, uh, uh, and, and now is, you know, he changed her name. He changed his name to a she, and and uh, and uh, so the Chinese are not the Chinese, and she and she dressed like a, a woman, and she had done her sex change operation, and nobody nobody said a thing. But you know, the difference is, is that outside of outside, especially the United States, uh, but also in to, to, in Europe to a great extent, is that they the rest of the world does not want the LGBT agenda, you know, you know this wokeism idea to uh, take center stage. Uh, in the daily lives uh, of the people, Mo you know, China does not have gay marriage yet. I mean, it's there, it's a very conservative, it's a very conser socially conservative culture. And but then, you know, you, if someone and, and they're sure not grooming, you know, you know, grade schoolers like they are here in in Europe and the United States, you know, to, uh, to you know for sex change operations and and um, uh, but if someone, you know, an adult legitimately wants to get a sex change operation, uh, they can they can do it. The, uh, there are gay bars in everywhere in any in any in any city that's of of, of, of a certain size. There's, there's gay bars uh, everywhere. So, but it's not. But it's not. It is not. It's, there, there's no gay pride parades. It's not being flaunted on television. It's not being, you know, foisted on on the people by, you know, on, you know, by the media and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, 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 the the Chinese accept it, but it's not a it's it does not dominate, you know, uh, the movie industry like it does in Hollywood now. Uh, so it's it's just different. I mean, you know, in fact, Ramin Mazahari, who is who is Iranian, who is Iranian American, sa says that uh, Iran, which is you know supposedly this you know closed-minded you know uh, ultra you know ultra Muslim you know uh, culture, uh, it, uh, he said that Iran has one of the highest levels of sex change operations per capita in the world. So the this everybody else around the world, although there are some African countries who are really, really, uh, um, you know, high, uh, uh, mainly fundamentalist Christian who who outlaw who outlaw homosexuality like Uganda and, and, and a few and a few others. But 
for the most part, across the rest of the world, it's a fact of life. Nobody makes a big deal out of it, but it it is not it is not a front and center issue for most people, and everybody gets along very very well. Right now, I don't uh, consider the American situation in uh, in the schools to be grooming. I I don't. Uh, see it within that framework. I just think that U.S. imperialism is exploiting the issues and the pain of uh, American trans and gay people to uh, promote a highly destructive agenda throughout the, uh, the majority of the world. And like you say, in most of these places, you know, there's not really an equivalent to the discriminatory policies that we increasingly see within the United States. It, it's more so that in these places, gender and sexuality are uh, simply not viewed as too important. It, it's viewed as so important in the United States, I think partly because of how uh, Christian of a country we are, and uh, because religion is such a big deal here, that has been able to uh, create the conditions for an incredibly toxic culture war. And, you know, increasingly in the United States, uh, the, the far right of our political sphere is waging this war against uh, some of the most vulnerable people. And that, that's really troubling. But what these uh, left-wing actors are trying to do is use that as a tool against their geopolitical targets. And uh, like I said, there, there's two wings of this. There's the wing that is totally against China, but then there's also the wing that claims to be pro-China, but is actually trying to use China as a wedge against Russia. And that that is having corrosive consequences. Now, I do not believe that this ploy is going to prove to be effective at undermining the Communist Party of China. The, China is not going to be destroyed like the Soviet Union was. Instead, I think that this could be a lot more effective at undermining the class struggle in the United States, because what we've seen in the last few years, in the last couple of years in particular since the Ukraine escalation, is there's been such division between the anti-Russian and pro-Russian uh, wings of the, the socialist movement. We've seen the anti-Russian side uh, viciously target the pro-Russian orgs, including some of the pro-Russian orgs that had worked with them. And the, uh, again, the uh, uh, essence of their smear narratives has to do with culture. It has to do with attacking their opponents as uh, far-right reactionaries, because they're, they're attacking these pro-Russian orgs in the United States on the same basis that they attack Russia. They're saying that Russia is fascist. They're saying that pro-Russian communist groups are fascists. It's, it's really dishonest. What do you, can you tell me a little bit more about these? Because I, I just don't really see them, um, at least here in France. Um, 
you know, if you, I mean, if I if I put a Russian flag out, so if I hung up a Russian flag in my window, I would be arrested. So I I I, I um, or if I put a Palestinian flag up, I'd be arrested. Uh, but, uh, but what I'm, uh, probably even if I put a Chinese flag up, I would be harassed for sure. So I just am curious what, who are, can you tell me a little bit about these pro, pro Chinese and pro Russian groups? Um, uh, are they on, are they on the left or are they on the right? And, uh, uh are they, are there a lot of them? Because I, all I see in, in Western media what i call the you know the mainstream media i call it the big lie propaganda machine i just see relentless anti-chinese anti anti-russian propaganda uh, tell us a little bit about some of these groups that are that are pro-russian and pro-chinese now last year almost a year ago a group of communist organizations, along with uh, the Libertarian Party and the People's Party, they came together to have the Rage Against the War Machine rally. And the, the communist participants of this rally were all pro-Russian. There was the American Student Union, there was the Center for Political Innovation, and there was the Party of Communist USA. All of these orgs are pro-Russian. And mm. the Libertarian Party isn't exactly pro-Russian, but uh, it's certainly not anti-Russian. And the very fact that it's willing to work with pro-Russian communists says a lot about it. So I, I, I've gained a lot of uh, new respect for the Libertarian Party mm -hmm. in recent years for that reason. Um, now, these pro-Russian communist orgs, uh, by the way, those three I, I just talked about aren't the only ones. There's also the uh, African People's Socialist Party, the otherwise known as Uhuru. Uhuru was being targeted by the Department of Justice right now uh, for supposedly facilitating Russian interference. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other communist party in the U.S. that uh, says it's pro-Russian, though I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of this, is the World Workers Party. Uh, you know, that's that's more marginal due to its um, history of opportunistic activities. And also World Workers Party opposed the Rage Against the War Machine rally. So uh, that I that makes its uh, intentions less clear. Um, the ones that I respect the most are the American Student Union, uh, PCUSA, Uhuru, and CPI. And these orgs have been attacked by the parts of the American communist movement that claim to be pro-China, but have at the same time opposed Russia, uh, Russia's special operation and rage against the war machine. And what, what happened last year was uh, after the rage against the war machine rally, the party for socialism and liberation decided to have its own anti-NATO rally the next month in reaction to the rage against the war machine rally. Cause you know, PSL only does things that have been proven to be politically safe. And uh, initially, PCUSA was uh, quite willing to help PSL put on this uh, put on this anti-NATO rally because PCUSA wants to avoid sectarianism wherever possible. But then, what PSL did was uh, use the its own rally as a means for spreading 
propaganda against the Rage Against the War Machine rally. And that was, that's what caused a, a major split or a, a notable split within the American communist movement. Because one side had shown itself to be dishonorable and the other side was not going to tolerate that kind of disrespect. Um, and also, <laughs> now this, this, is, this is really unfortunate and, and ridiculous, uh, but PSL has also disrespected the African People's Socialist Party by deciding to hold its uh, Palestine rally on the same day as uh, Uhuru's rally against the uh, DOJ's persecution on November 4th. And Yuvuru called that out as an attack against the black community. So the running theme within these dramas is a dynamic of opportunism, a mentality which uh, makes it feel like communist organizing is not a uh, is, is not supposed to be a means to an end when we're all working towards the same goal, but a, a competition where people, uh, the, the people who run the, the predominant orgs feel like they're entitled to everything, like they're entitled to this monopoly. But no, you're not entitled to an, a monopoly. You need to earn the respect of the people. You need to earn the right to have that role. And it, this all relates to these issues with Russia and, and China, because what the PSL side is doing is, exploiting, it's not just exploiting real or perceived contradictions with uh, LGBT issues in Russia, it's also jumped on the uh, bandwagon that the American ruling class has uh, brought about over the last decade or so, wherein a ruling elites have made it so that uh, wokeness is now the predominant means for their narrative control efforts. Just 20 years ago, this wasn't, wasn't so much the case. Just 20 years ago, the Republican Party was the main tool of the ruling class. But after Obama, they really pivoted towards uh, portraying themselves as a progressive force within history. Uh, I'm talking about the US ruling class. They portrayed the American uh, imperialist system as necessary to support in order to be an ally to oppressed peoples, uh, which is totally deceptive. And what these communist groups, what these anti-Russian communist groups are doing is uh, tailing that narrative, uh, <laughs> uh, tailing that narrative effort by the Democratic Party, essentially portraying themselves as more radical versions of the Democratic Party. The um, sounds to me, I mean, and this has been a problem uh, in in progressive movements uh, all over the world uh, throughout history. We well, we can at least start with with the French Revolution. Is uh, sounds to me like maybe the PSL has been infiltrated because that's that's you know the that's that's what. Um, the 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 secret services and the police forces and the judicial system uh, does best uh, uh, 
around the world is to is to infiltrate uh, what they perceive to be, you know, anti-establishment enemies and and uh, and and get them to. I mean, the Black Panthers are are, are the perfect are the are the are the perfect case of that, unfortunately. And uh, they were they were just incessantly infiltrated uh, by the FBI, the CIA, the the, the Los Angeles po- Police Department, the the Oakland Police Department, the Chicago Police Department, every you know the Philadelphia Police Department. They were just constantly infiltrated, and and uh, and uh, <clears throat> uh, when that happens, it's almost impossible to. Uh, to progress, whereas you know, in China, they were able to. They were through tremendous, you know, re-education and and a tremendous, you know, um, social and cultural, you know, program. They were able to, you know, to avoid. And, and they still had. They also had a lot of problems with infiltration, but they were able to weed, weed the people out, and um, and um, and keep the keep keep the the people in the party on you know on message but it's a you know infiltration and and um a subversion you know of, of popular popular movements has been a problem for for centuries absolutely now i believe that the communist party usa has been infiltrated and it was infiltrated many decades ago uh during the 50s i think that that's when it started to become a a real tool for the FBI, uh, but the PSL is a lot newer, so I think it's not needed to be infiltrated. It's it's just a product of um, an opportunistic ideology. That being the ideology which uh, the camp of Brian Becker, PSL's leader, has created um, to follow Marxism. Now, now Marxism. That was the ideology of Sam Marcy, one of the major socialist organizers in the United States of the 20th century. And Sam Marcy's politics are actually a lot better than those of the modern PSL. Uh, Naturally, most PSL members don't really know about Sam Marcy. Now, Sam Marcy did a lot of things right, but one thing that he did wrong was assume that the liberal section of American society was the section that necessarily had the most revolutionary potential. And this was more understandable during the Cold War era, but at some point there was going to be a political reorientation wherein uh, more segments of American society came to have anti-imperialist consciousness. And um, what what we've seen since the 20th century is that a lot of the people on the libertarian right and even in the MAGA movement have uh, become closer to an anti-imperialist stance. Uh, in, 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 20, in 2019, a, a poll came out showing that the bulk of the opposition towards uh, occupation in Syria was coming from MAGA voters, whereas the bulk of the support for, for war in Syria was coming from And this was three years into Trump's presidency when Syria was definitely Trump's war. So that shows how much this political reorientation has uh, come to have significance, come to have staying power within the consciousness of the people it's affected. So the liberals have 
become uh, in large part obstinately pro-imperialist, obstinately against Russia, whereas many on the right have uh, come a lot closer to an anti-imperialist consciousness. It's been a spontaneous consciousness shift. It's uh, something that's incomplete, more of a proto-anti-imperialist consciousness. But, you know, a, every consciousness shift is needed to start somewhere. Um, and that pertains to another argument of this imperialism-compatible imperialism element of the left, which is that supposedly any section of American society that has um, conservative social views should be treated as fundamentally reactionary. And that, that forms the basis for their uh, belief that only left liberals should be treated as if they have revolutionary potential, that only left liberals should be allowed into a coalition. That was really the essence of the dispute over the Rage Against the War Machine rally, that supposedly we shouldn't expand anti-war coalitions beyond that left liberal niche. And that, that's, that's never a good idea to confine yourself to only one element of the masses. Well, especially since uh, most, in my opinion, most of the wet, most of the, the, the so-called left are just cardboard, cardboard liberal, you know, cardboard, you know, progressives and, and, um, and uh, very, very hypocritical. Tell, tell us about the, um, Tell us about the the, the pro Chinese groups. You said you mentioned a few pro Russian. What about what? Who who are pro Chinese? Oh right, I kind of I kind of forgot because you know. Oh, don't worry about it. All the pro Russian groups are, I think, by definition, also pro Chinese. Uh, P, uh, PCUSA, CPI, ASU, Uhuru, they're all pro China. Uh, I I I don't think it would make much sense for. Uh, somebody who calls themselves a communist to be uh, pro-Russia, but anti-China, you really only see that on the right. Um, but here's the interesting thing about that. PSL also claims to be pro-China, but PSL is pro-China in a way that is sort of fishy. Because <laughs> they claim to be pro-China, but they're opposed to Russia's recent action. And uh, the more that the class struggle has developed, the more hostile that they've proven to be towards the pro-Russian the pro groups. And the, here's an important piece of context about PSL and its ostensibly pro-China stance. PSL is connected to Roy Singham, the American millionaire living in Shanghai, uh, who has been funding uh, a, a number of ostensibly pro-China groups. Now, why would a U.S. Mil millionaire be living in Shanghai and funding these supposedly pro-China groups? It's because he represents a wing of the imperialist NGO network that uh, rather than trying to infiltrate, uh, I, mean, I mean, rather than opposing China, it's it's trying to infiltrate China. It's trying to influence China from within, he's, he's literally in China, in order to drive a wedge between China and Russia. And I get the impression that in the ideal scenario of Roy Singham and the organizations that he supports, China is going to become uh, fully liberalized, uh, both 
in a, in a cultural sense. It's going to fully incorporate the uh, American exceptionalist model of wokeness and thereby start to become hostile towards Russia, which is, <laughs> it's, it, it sounds absurd, but that's clearly what they're doing given the ideological basis for their positions and given the positions that they take. Uh, and this is not going to work. There's no way that the Communist Party of China is going to start becoming hostile towards Russia on the basis of cultural issues. Uh, China and Russia have go both gotten to a point where the only way that they can go forward um, is by continuing to strengthen their partnership, by continuing to oppose the United States ardently. That's for sure. I didn't know about Roy Singham. I wonder what he does for what what his purported uh, business is. I'll have to check him out. But I can guarantee you, if he if he gets politically involved with um, anybody in in China, they're gonna they uh, the Chinese, of course, are probably are probably very well aware of him, and I'm sure he's you know he's un unavoidable. So I'm sure they're keeping an eye on him. And um, I'll have to, how do you spell it? Is it S-I-N-G-H-A-M, Singham? S-I-N-G-H-A-M, yes. Okay, I'll have to check him out. All right. All right. Yeah, because all I see in the Western big lie propaganda machine is basically, you know, the, the, um, the Democrats, the, the Democrats, it's Russia, 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 and the, uh, and, the, and the Republicans is just China, 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 and 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 between the two of them, uh, the the portrayal of both countries in the West is uh, abysmal and and uh, largely false. You know, it's uh, you know the I, re, I I did an interview with a uh, a radio host, and he's in Fresno, California, by the way, uh, and. Uh, and he he made the comment everything that is said about China in the West is a lie. And um, and I just I just saw a short video where they said that the the United States budgeted has spent ninety billion billion not not M with a B billion dollars. Ninety billion dollars, and I don't know what the time frame was, but uh, ninety billion dollars for for counterfactual, you know, propaganda against um, China. And they had a special, I remember reading about this special program where they, the United States government trained, trained uh, uh, journalists and media people. They spent 1.5 billion, billion with a B dollars to, uh, sh to teach uh, uh, media people uh, how to discredit and tarnish China's image. So uh, it's I I, th I think it's I see it as just relentless. And, and and although although the organizations you mentioned are not very not very um, high above the horizon, it's you know, um, or it's nice to know that there's at least a few of them out there that um, that uh, do support China. The other, the other, the other odious group that is 
fervently anti-China in, in the, in, on the left are the Trotskyites because they cannot accept the fact that China has, uh, has, has used Marxism and Leninism to create, you know, socialism with Chinese characteristics and a socialist, a socialist, you know, market economy. And they think they, you know, and they can't stand the fact that China is not, you know, trying to foment revolution around the world everywhere at the same time. And, and so they're, they're, they're particularly obnoxious because they, they, they come across in their articles, you know, you know, as being pro-China, but it's very backhanded and very, very insincere. And all they do is all, all they do is just complain and, and, and bitch and moan about how, how bad China is uh, as, as, a, as a communist socialist country. So um, uh, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the next step will be with these groups. Is rage against what? What is rage against the machine? I always thought they were sort of an, an, anarchists. Uh, how did they get involved in this thing? Well, they well they have nothing to do with this. Rage against the machine is is the band is not connected to Rage Against the War Machine. Oh oh I, oh so it's not it's not the band. Oh well, I heard I heard about I heard about. This thing where the 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 libertarians, you know, got together with some with some with some left wing groups and 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 had meetings and discussions and everything. And uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I actually I subscribe to the. Um, oh, I'm having a brain burp here. The. Lind Lind. Lyndon Lyndon LaRouche, you know his his wife Helga somebody has car has carried on the torch of the Lyndon Lyndon LaRouche um, uh, uh, foundation and and they 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 have some they have some really nice ideas. I mean they're you know uh, you know you 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 know you can't be you can't be just, it, not everything is black and white. So uh, and I really enjoy the the, the Schiller. That's what. The, it's called the Schiller Institute, and uh, they've got uh, they, they. I get their newsletter, and they're they're work. You know, they they write nice articles about China, and and uh, even though they're libertarian, and and uh, so it's. Uh, I th I think uh, I think the the only success that the 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 the, the, the left in in the West at least the only hope they have is to is to is to is to have a big tent. And uh, and accept as many people as they possibly can. What do you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, well, the Larucheites uh, in the eighties. I I think it was when they renounced uh, Marxism that Lyndon Larouche renounced Marxism. Um, all the things you said though, you just said though, are true. I mean, we should credit them for their anti-imperialist contributions. <laughs> and uh, you know the the thing about uh, coalition building in the modern United States, especially, is there's so much sectarianism and so many sectarian impulses. And when you enter politics in the in the way of social media, then you become incentivized to level unprincipled critiques against uh, other kinds of anti-imperialists. And the <laughs> The effect that this often has 
is to uh, put people who are ostensibly pro-China and pro-Russia into uh, situations where they're now effectively pro-imperialist because all that they do all day is denounce other anti-imperialist elements. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, LaRoucheism and the Schiller Institute, um, as well as CPI, that organization I, I brought up earlier, those three in particular, those things in particular have become standard boogeymen for the imperialism compatible left. If you go on social media, you're constantly, or <laughs> if you go into these parts of social media I'm talking about, you're constantly uh, hearing these leftist social media accounts denounce anti-imperialist projects by saying, it's all controlled by LaRouche and CPI is sinister. Uh, <laughs> and then, then there's um, the way that they portray Caleb Maupin, which is as a ridiculous villainized caricature. Um, and here, here's the, the thing about my development. Originally, I was actually within the camp of PSL. I was within these circles of the left. Um, and the only reason why I had not yet come to a better interpretation of Marxism, I, I feel, is because the struggle was not yet at a stage that had compelled me to develop beyond that. So at, at the last time that you interviewed me, I was pro-China, but I had not yet been confronted with the question of whether we should support Russia, should it uh, take uh, more drastic action against the U.S. empire. As soon as the communist movement was in the U.S. was confronted with that question, I came to see that PSL's camp was in the in the wrong, and that Maupin's camp was in the right. And, and you know, the PSL camp has for a long time been denouncing Caleb Maupin and everything that he does. No, no matter how uh, much of a good anti-imperialist contribution that he and CPI make. What does CPI stand for? Center for Political Innovation. Okay, Center for Political... Is that his outfit? Yeah. Okay. You know, a long time ago, this was back when he... I don't know if he still lives in New York, but... Uh, long, oh God, maybe even... I think it was even before... Uh, you and I had 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 that show, and yeah, four years ago, uh, Caleb and I got together and did four or five sort of mini shows about uh, where he just explained the difference between capitalism and socialism and communism and anarchism, and there was one other. It was a total of five, and uh, but we've lost we've lost we've lost touch uh, since then. Are you in touch with him at all? Do you all do you all communicate? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes, and that's directly because of the Rage Against the War Machine Coalition. It, okay. it allowed me to form these connections. Okay. Yeah, we, we lost contact shortly thereafter. I went to New York and uh, tried to have a cup of coffee with him, and it didn't work out. And, and since then, uh, um, that would have been, gosh, maybe 20 17 or something like that. So I think I think our, our, our th those five shows we did, or four or five, Shows we did were probably back around 2016, but um, but he I I've, I see him I see him I see him on the on the internet you know uh, uh, 
on YouTube and places like that. So I know he's very, very uh, active. Is, is he still in New York? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He he was working for he was working for a newspaper or 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 a TV station at that time and and uh, maybe it was press TV. I think maybe it was even press. I can't remember. But um, you know, I, I know he's very active and um, and the Greenville Post, Patrice Cronville, has published quite a bit of his stuff. So. Uh, uh, and I'm an associate editor of the Greenville Post. So, uh, what else do you got? What else do you have on your mind? Well, to summarize, <laughs> well, the the essence of what I'm saying, there is a contradiction within the American left right now, and within the communist movement in particular, a contradiction uh, which has been revealed by the escalation of the Ukraine conflict. Ukraine has shown that there is an element of the left that claims to be pro-China, uh, but is really an unreliable ally. And there's also an element of uh, the global communist movement that is uh, a reliable, reliable ally to both. And the way that you can tell who's a reliable ally is uh, whether they're, I think, whether they're honest about the conditions of China. Because the narrative that I've been seeing about China from these uh, these left actors, particularly since the pandemic, is that China v supposedly vindicates all of the positions that the modern American left uh, predominantly uh, pr predominantly embraces. Because the pandemic created a lot more Marxists who are pro-China, and that's good because they saw that China had this COVID success story. But a lot of these Marxists were also misled about what that really means. Because, uh, yes, China had a success story on COVID, but that doesn't mean it's right to support the policies of our government in our conditions when it came to COVID. China didn't have an equivalent of the American vaccine mandates, um, and the and China's COVID lockdowns were only able to work be because China's government was willing to provide the people with the uh, necess the necessities within that situation. All that our government did was give people a check of less than two thousand dollars and screw them over otherwise. And the reality is that this this made for a really tyrannical, deadly pandemic policy that the predominant elements of the American left embraced. And that, that makes uh, the pandemic and the vaccine mandates into another one of these culture war issues that these elements of the American left are using to drive a wedge between Russia and China, and uh, also to create this false image of China in which China, as well as the DPRK, are portrayed as the perfect embodiments of what American leftism means. Mm -hmm. The um, first off, a lot of people don't don't know this, but uh, I talked to many people in China. I was just there for a month in September, 
And um, I was there for a month in May, and I'll be going back um, in a couple more months. No one in China was forced to get jabbed. No one. There was social pressure. There was a lot of social pressure to, to, to get the vaccines. But if you said no, you, you, in fact, there was even, there was even an, an, an edict that was uh, broadcast across the country that no local, no local, no village, no town, no, 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 no police, nobody could force anybody to get the to get the uh, to get a COVID vaccine, and of course, their vaccines were much safer because they were attenuated virus. You know the the, the classic the classic attenuated virus uh, uh, vaccines, like all the others. You know, in history, whereas you know, of course the ones in the West are you know gen- are genetic, you know mRNA shots that have that have killed a lot of people and injured a lot of people and. And so, uh, yeah, that, uh, if you want, you know, and if you want true fascism and true totalitarianism, what the West did, what the West did to its citizens by forcing people to, to get, which is against the Nuremberg Code. I mean, it's, it's against the Nuremberg Code to force people to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to submit to a medical procedure against their will. So, uh, and then one other comment uh, 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 is that I'm, I'm reading volume number four of Xi Jinping, uh, Xi Jinping, on, on the governance of China. Actually, I'm listening to them as a, as audiobooks. Uh, Chet Osman has a has a YouTube state has a YouTube channel, and he does he he does readings of of, of Chinese books. And has subtitled some movies, and uh, so I'm actually listening to Volume Four while I, while I do my Aqua Gym, <laughs> while I do my Aqua Gym to stay in shape. And uh, I just yesterday I was listening to to the to to one chapter, and Xi Jinping said that Marxism has changed China as much as China has changed Marxism, and that you know that the whole point being that. <clears throat> You cannot be ideolog, you know. You cannot be ideologically rigid. You have to constantly being. You have to constantly being. Have to constantly adapt uh, Marxism and Leninism to the to the times and the cha- You know the changes and everything. Not not the way that uh, Khrushchev did it. That's for sure. He was the Gorbachev of his generation. But uh, I, I just you mentioned. You know we were talking about Marxism and. And I love that quote, you know, that uh, that uh, for China, Marxism and Leninism are a, a living, breathing um, a philosophy that 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 can be adapted and used and applied in 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 in, in, in an infinite number of uh, situations, and uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, one of the. One, because you've got these really rigid, you know, Marxists, you know, in the West, you know, this is what the book says that they're like, they're, it's like the Bible for fundamentalists, you know, you can't, you can't question it. So I think China has shown that by using Marxism and Leninism uh, to develop their country and, and put their people first, 
In fact, it was Mao Zedong who said, you know, his famous motto, serve the people. So it's a people centered, it's a people centered uh, uh, bottom, bottom up, you know, democracy that, that, that the people, that the people control the destiny of the country and, and control the leadership. So, uh, well, listen, this has been a great conversation and believe it or not, we've gone, we've, we've talked for almost an hour. So, uh, maybe we'll have to do this more often instead of every four years. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I felt the need to reach out to you because I, I've learned so much over these last four years uh, because of the, the conditions have been developing. The struggle has been developing in such an un, unprecedented way. And it's taught so many things to those who are willing to learn those lessons, those mm-hmm. who are willing to look at the things that are going on around them. Because the, the, the problem with the orgs that I have criticized is they're not willing to learn those lessons from history as they experience history. They're only willing to do what uh, a certain dogma says. They, they, they want to stay within uh, a bygone era of American history where, um, where the right was the uh the main <laughs> the main tool of uh the u.s empire and, and now and, and now it's, now it's the democratic party yeah and the broad left it's just unbelievable well listen great to talk to you and uh looking forward to i'll i'll, I'll produce the show and i appreciate you reaching out to me and um do you have a website or anything how do how do people do you or do you, do you do you write? Do you have a blog someplace? How do people find out about what you're doing? You can look me up on Rainer Shea at Substack. So it's Rainer. Oh, I, I'm yeah. I I I uh, it's, it's Rainer Shea. Okay, Shea. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm subscribed to you. I don't know if you've subscribed to me, but I. I, I am. But okay, yeah. I, yeah, that's where I see your stuff. I see it. I see it in my inbox. Okay, all right. And I see also see you on Twitter, X. I don't know how 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 active you are, but um, I'll uh, I'll I'll include your Substack and your and your and your X, your X account. Do you also use Facebook? Yes. And what is that? Just Rainer Shea also. Yeah. All right. Is Shea Irish? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a cla- I think that's a I think it's I think it's a classic Irish name. So you're also on Facebook. What else? Mm. I'm all, I'm also on Instagram. I post at least one picture every day. Oh but really? I, okay. Yeah, in the in the last couple of years, uh, a friend has uh, helped me set up a website called newswiththeory.com. News with theory.com so that is that your platform yeah it's one of my platforms all right well i'll I'll, I'll include um i'll i'll find you i i'm also on instagram so i can stay in touch with my daughters because they they love you know your generation how old are you rainer 23 23 yeah my daughters are a little bit older but 
for people in uh, my daughters are 26 and 29, something like that. And so, uh, but uh, yeah, people, you, the, the people at 20 in the, in the, in their 20s and 20s and 30s, they love Instagram. So, um, so I'll find your Instagram, I'll find your Facebook, and I'll find and I'll, I've already got your Substack, and I'll also uh, uh, confirm newswiththeory.com. So, uh, so people can, so people can uh, check you out. All right. And so, what do you get? What do you get in your college degree in? Political science with a All minor right. in journalism. All right. Well, good for you. And where are you going? What school are you going to? It's at Cal Poly Humboldt in Arcadia. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, Humboldt County. Okay, yeah. That's beautiful up there. That is so beautiful up there. So uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you. I'm sure you. I'm sure you're enjoying your life up there. For all of you who do not know, Humboldt County is in northwest uh california and it's uh it it, it, it has <laughs> for decades it had the, it had a history of being the marijuana growing capital <laughs> of california but now that it's been pretty much legalized i don't know what's happened don't know what's happened since then but uh it's really beautiful a lot of forests and rivers and and uh it's just really a spectacular part of uh, part uh, part of northern california well, Rainer, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for contacting me. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're over your flu and feeling good and and uh, kicking butt and taking names. And uh, let's stay in touch. All right. All right. Talk soon.